Welcome to Burn Everything. This is a podcast where we primarily talk about art, creativity, culture, and everything in between. It's called Burn Everything because, well, everything's kind of fucked. And sometimes you just need to start from scratch and rise from the ashes. All right, I'm John Nicholas, and I use they, them pronouns. My name is Matt Nicholas, and I use he, him pronouns. We're both young creatives who happen to be related to each other. And let's get started. Welcome back to a, another episode of Burn Everything. This is episode two. Today is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode because time is an illusion. So to start off, like we usually do, we're going to say something creative that we did during this week. Matt, take it away. Yeah, so this week I decided I was going to start a new photography project um, on Williamsport, our hometown here. And I think it's going to be something over the course of like a couple months, but I've already started, you know, trying to walk around every day and um, get some pictures of our town and try to see what it becomes. Maybe it'll turn into something. Maybe it won't. But yeah, what about you, John? Uh, so I just came from an audition. Like I, I was I was auditioning for something um, and now I'm here. So that was the creative thing I did. I prepared for that a little bit. I did pretty well. Good. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. Um. So do we want to go into our topics for today? Yeah, sure. Um, for those unaware of how the podcast works, we kind of go back and forth on topics uh, that we both have semi-prepared for uh, and the other has not prepared for. So it's a little bit of surprise, extravaganza, eleganza, shenaniganery. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Gorgeous. Amazing. Uh, Matt, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So this week, I wanted to start off by actually talking about the Bechdel test. And this is a gooder. Yeah, I, I'm excited. And this is kind of continuing our theme of uh, last week of talking about representation in movies. But for anyone who doesn't know what the Bechdel test is, I didn't know until a few months ago after my girlfriend actually told me about it. So the Bechdel test was created by cartoonist Alison Bechdel, who noticed uh, in women's storylines, they almost always revolved around men. So kind of in conjunction with her friends, um, she decided that she would only go see a movie if it had at least two named women in it who talked to each other about something else other than a man. And that's it. That's that's basically the Bechdel test. And it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Um, you know, it's been around for a couple of years, at least being popular for the last couple of years. And I just thought it, it, it's really interesting. The reason I was thinking about it this week is because we were sitting down uh, watching a movie. It was um, the movie... Um, a Circuit Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, yeah. And John, you were like kind of like talking yeah. about like, you know. I was like, I was like, I don't think there are any. I think there's been, I think there's one black or brown person that's a named character. And I don't remember their name. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a like a, a flaw in me as a human being or a flaw in the writing. Probably a little bit of both. But. Yeah, I don't know that there was a single like yeah, I don't, black I, or I, brown character that was actually named. His, they, they were like his coworker. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Um, he was named, but like Fernando, Fernando, yes. Fernando. Yes, okay, yes. But anyways, it yeah. was that conversation. Then we started talking about the Bechdel test on whether or not uh, that movie actually passed it or not. Yeah, and it is a very fine line on whether it did or not. So that's why I was kind of thinking about it, but I guess to actually like bring about a question on it, if a film doesn't pass that really low bar of having a 
two female characters who talk about anything other than a man, if it doesn't pass that really low bar, does that mean the film is automatically bad? Because when I found out about it, I was so surprised um, to see so many of like my favorite movies like growing up as a kid that were on that list. Like, I don't know about you. By the way, if anyone's interested, um, go on to thebechteltest.com and it has a list uh, broken down by year of all these different movies on whether or not it passes or not. But I was just like so surprised that so many of them just didn't pass it. Yeah, I've also noticed that there that there are so many like movies that like were integral to like our childhood and I'm sure a lot of other people's uh, that fully don't. One that I think comes to mind just off the top of my head, I feel like most Star Wars movies pretty much don't. Yeah. Um, Cause that like that was a big part of our childhood, for sure, um, for sure, for sure. Um, and I like thinking of it now. I think that there are a lot. There's not. There's not. There isn't that. Like it does. It fully does not pass it, which I think um, is wild mm-hmm. to think about. But I think I think that really more tells you like a like the like the misogyny and the patriarchy that exists in the world and also within the film industry and with. Who is writing those? Like, who is writing that, and who is like who's working on those things? Because mm-hmm. I think there is a definite like thing that's like, oh, that probably is happening because it's written by a person that like has a decent amount of internalized misogyny. Like, there are there are movies written by women that still fail the Bechdel test. Yeah, which Too is much, crazy. Which is crazy. Yeah, which is also crazy. And that that's the thing about internalized misogyny that's insane. Yeah, because it's like. It's it's the system being like, hey, this drill this into your brain and keep it there. It's nasty, nasty yeah. stuff. So I guess, do you think, so for example, Star Wars, I'm pretty sure Star Wars, like A New Hope, doesn't pass the back. I'm test. almost certain it doesn't. Now, does that, when I heard that, I initially was like, wow, maybe that's a bad movie now. Or yeah. like, like, does that, does that make it a bad movie? It's like, it's I think hard because it, like, you know, yeah. you latch on and you love like certain movies like that but then they yeah in that regard i think i think there is a little bit of nuance to that situation that i think also star wars is i i love star wars it's it's like love it live laugh love Mm -hmm. love it yes um but there it like star wars is also like a very sorry i keep cracking my knuckles is a very like story thing that like not not a mechanically like technically speaking not the best movie but also the technicality of filmmaking is also mostly based in like a lot of like uh pretentiousness uh, that i don't really love but anyway there isn't a whole lot of nuance to the story of star wars in the first place but separating that i think there is when something doesn't pass the bechdel test i think it it doesn't it makes it a bad like movie in the sense that it is a bad representation movie it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a bad movie period mm-hmm. like it, it there, there's like layers to that it it failed that category which is very important like super important but it that's not like an auto fail i think that's something that's also like really integral to like separating well i don't know actually I think there's a difference there because I was what I was about to say is I, I something that I think about a lot is like I really enjoy and have enjoyed um, Harry Potter 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have to separate my feelings for JK Rowling um, right. and all the horrible things that she said about trans people mm-hmm. and all of the like trash that's like also kind of written into the books. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's always a little bit of like when, especially with things that you've attached to as a child that it, you have to like, you really have to be like, I see the issue with this and I respect why. And I like, I know that it's wrong, but part of that is important to me. Like the, like if you cut the rest of it out, it is important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that that is a important thing to learn, but I think it's also really important to like understand why that is wrong and to not do it again. Right. Yeah. You like it despite the fact it has these faults. Yes. Yeah. I mean, something that I was doing and kind of researching a little bit more about the Bechtel test, apparently Alison Bechtel, her favorite movie doesn't even, you know, pass it herself. Yeah. Like it, it, her favorite movie is Groundhog Day. And that definitely, yeah, definitely does not, doesn't pass yeah, it. Yeah, no. Um, so she kind of was talking about how it not necessarily is about whether or not a movie is good or anything like that. It's just a measurement of how of, of showing kind of the inequality in representation in films or at least at least the depth of the characters you know i would say i want i want to restate mm-hmm. i think if a movie fails the bechdel test it's a bad feminist movie okay well here's that's, that's, my kind of follow-up question yes. then as well is the bechdel test actually a measurement of feminism because uh, yes a, a, i, a I film agree could have a because it's such a low bar it oh, it's really such is a low bar such a low bar absolutely low like does that necessarily make the film more feminist central film then if it passes the bechdel test if like another you know two female characters actually have a conversation that's I, any sort of meaningful i don't you know? think it does i think i think it's i think it's a level of that if it fails the bechdel test bad feminist movie if it passes it it like is not like on like the scale of like how feminist the movie is it has surpassed bad and gone into neutral well not neutral it is it's not trash like Mm -hmm. it is it has gone from like a negative number to maybe zero Mm -hmm. like so and i i think there's there's more nuance as you go up obviously on that kind of scale where you're like actually showing like real like real stories about like real women um and like real Yes, and doing like real good like feminist filmmaking, um, but there's also the issue of where was I going? I might train of thought went away. Um, basically, it, I think it. I think if it if it passes it, it's it's cleared a bar. Mm-hmm. But there are so many more bars that are mu- that are also really important. Right. I think, and I th- I think it's a easy like I think it's an easy bar to just be like oh. The bar is in like at the ground and some people can't even pass that. Yeah. And I think that's 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 why it's there. I think it's a a good marker, but it's not it's not the end all be all. This is a feminist movie. It passes the Bechdel test. I think there's there's if you want to like really have your film theory of it, you probably there could be more that could there could be other tests and stuff that could be done. Uh, well, yeah, that's what she was actually suggesting in an interview. She was saying that you can create your own quote unquote like Bechtel tests for all sorts of different things like you were doing for, you know, Secret Life of Walter Mitty yeah. on whether or not, you know, there was a named brown character yeah. that was actually a part, had a key role in the movie. Yeah. You can make so many, you know, different types of tests 
on you know how actually inclusive a movie is in in yeah in showing all the different intersectionalities and groups yeah i think something like i don't know why this came to mind but i like i was like i've recently been like looking into some stuff about the steven universe i love steven universe talked about it in the last episode Mm -hmm. i will probably continue to um Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna be real um that like even in that there are some like there are coded characters that are coded as black that also have like are written as aggressive mm. and it they're coded as black or they like are actually drawn as black, but they also have that aggressiveness to them, which is a like a really easy like racist stereotype that we that we have around black people. Yeah, Um. that I think I think it like I think like that kind of bar I think is. That's not that's not even like a low like a low that's like kind of a low bar that is a low bar. And I think I think I think in general in filmmaking and in art in general I think if we do create these kind of bars for ourselves and be like does it does it pass this? That's oh wait that's a low bar. Raise the bar. Keep raising the bar. Right. And I think I think that's where we get a a better world and a better better representation for everyone. Yeah. Um especially yeah cuz I feel like there's there's like super like super nuanced stuff that we don't that like we don't even think about because well at least like we as white people don't think about that are that is like that is like very nuanced that like you don't always read um and then like as you like start to break down stuff you really like oh that's really messed up when you look at it um Mm -hmm. i think in general that's that's the point of the bechdel test and the point of other and other tests and other raising the bar in general yeah for sure and like I don't know, to anyone who's listening, I would definitely go and recommend watching some of those old movies that you really like and kind of being more aware of like some of those types of things, like keeping that in the back of your mind on how they're actually representing, you know, all these different types of characters. It's it's something interesting to do, at least, you know. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's important to to especially with things that are close to you to dissect them. Because I think when you like really take a look at some of that, that also like helps you really deconstruct some like prejudice and some internalized shit that you've gone through. Because um, mm-hmm. I've certainly realized um, around like my queerness about like some in- like some internalized stuff that I've taken in from media that I'm like, oh, I took that in from somewhere else. That was never me. Um, but I th- I think that's an important part of becoming a like a fully actualized human being and also a a better artist um because i think i think art without prejudice is is where in the future we need to go um Mm. because i think that's where we get real art and not fake art yeah edgy cool cool well you want to move on to your yeah topic uh my topic is actually a rather broad one um that i'm really excited about um so I I was thinking about this the other day about how about like my connection with movement and like in general cuz I like I'm a dancer, I do dance. Um but I also do a whole lot of other stuff that is very movement heavy. And I wanted to talk about in general, I don't know if I have like a full question on this, but I well, I guess I do. Um how like in art in general, in like filmmaking, um how do you think movement what, how, why do you think it's important? How do you think it, like, how do you think it conveys feeling as well as it does? This mm-hmm. is a really broad topic, and I, I feel bad about it, but I also really enjoy it. 
Yeah, I guess in thinking about like what you mean by movement, I guess in in general, the thing that talk that came to mind when you were saying about filmmaking is that I personally, in some of the films that I've helped make and some of them that I've actually not liked how they turned out, a lot of them had to do with the fact that it was, you know, two characters like sitting in a room and not quite giving all the emotion into it and just sitting there talking the entire time. Yeah. Which is some scenes in some films. Yeah. But I think movement and blocking and, you know, getting, you know, your energy into like as an actor, like into the scene is so important. Agreed. And because I would so much rather see, you know, two lovers chasing after each other after a big, you know, fight in the street than standing in one place in a room. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know quite where you were going with it. I'm, but It's I, as broad as you want it to be. Yeah, but that's where my head went, um, yeah. at least. Yeah, I think, I think your analogy of people, like, with, like, the lovers running in the street, I think movement is drama. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's such a powerful, integral part of how we express ourselves as human beings. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's so raw yeah. and so gorgeous. Uh, a quote from Bob Fosse that I'm probably going to misquote, um, but I, I, I want to say it anyway. He used to say something to the effect of that. I think it was Fosse. I'm, I'm, I might be really wrong. I'm going to say it anyway, that when, when you like can't speak anymore, you sing. When you can't sing anymore, you dance. Hmm. It's that, it's the, the words without words. It's, it's everything. It's raw. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I think that's, that's also something really like, uh, this also brought me to like, when I was like thinking about this, about like painting and about like, and then also kind of brought me like to like filmmaking too, but like that still life in general and like, like any kind of still anything, whether it's like art or photography or whatever. The, the conversation of motion and the conveying of motion is something so integral in, in art in general. Because not only in like painting, where you are conveying life and movement through that, it, it it's what gives it life and what makes it like actually feel like it could jump out of the frame and do with the thing is wild. But I think, and I think it's similar in filmmaking of that like, when you add movement to it, it feels all the more raw. Like the same thing goes with like like shaky cam. Shaky cam is something we see too often um, mm. that sometimes I really hate, mm. uh, but sometimes used correctly and used like thoughtfully, it really can evoke this like edgy, shaky, like like running around like energy to to a scene that can like that can also mean different things. And I, I think that's, I don't know, I think it's really beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. Well, I think somewhere where my head went in what you were talking about, like the shaky cam, is that I feel like movement, at least in filmmaking, is so often attributed to action films and yeah. like, you know, chase scenes and these huge fights and stuff. But I feel like we don't appreciate as much the little movements in dramas in just little everyday actions that do have impact there's this thing that um that you talk about in blocking in film school um called i guess the turning point of a scene where you've kind of reached kind of this climax and more often than not you'll see it in almost every scene where 
someone is turning away from someone else, you know, after the disagreement or whatever, um, but they turn back or they get someone to turn back, you know, the old and switcheroo. Yeah. Right before they're right before they're leaving. <laughs> yeah. And it's those types of like movements or or just like, I don't know, more nuanced little things that happen day to day that are still powerful or they're still just as powerful as someone getting punched in the face in an action movie and sometimes more than that yeah you know and i feel like we don't think about it in the same way like i feel like we choreograph these whole huge scenes of like fighting and yeah punching from you know all these different angles or whatever or shaky cam yeah but then when it's two characters having a conversation it's just them sitting still in a room and like two like static cameras. Yeah. Like a film that I was on recently, it was a little a newer director and they were really worried about getting all the coverage for every single angle and we'd be, you know, setting up a static shot here and here and here and it would just yeah. be like six people. It was like an ensemble cast, six people yeah. standing in a room and just talking to each other. And that for the actors, it's bad because they, you know, they don't, they want to move around. They want to be into the scene. And otherwise, it, it's, and I don't know. And then it's bad for just like storytelling, you know? Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah. And I think, I think what you said there is really important. The concept of that, like, dance is a conversation kind of thing. Conversation is dance too. Mm. Like, in filmmaking, when you are, in, when you're like gesturing to someone, when, when you are acting, that is also a dance like that yeah. is that it's choreographed. It's still like you like you need to be thinking about those things like today. I like speaking of auditions. Um, I was talking to a like a friend about like some very specific um, like we were like going through like this one dialogue. We were like picking out words that were like important that we like we found important and that also we found really integral to like what the character was. Hmm. Um, and I think like stuff like that where it's like even when she was gonna like like just like when and what she was gonna gesture with like for that like though even those micro little detail things is like that movement is very important because that's also what is in real life like in real life like we gesture i'm like literally shaking my hands at matt right now <laughs> for like yeah. yeah um that kind of that kind of stuff of those little those little details that like you don't always think about and i think that's I don't know. That's why I love movement. I think it's just, it's such a, it's such a gorgeous medium mm-hmm. in general. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's, I, yeah. And I think especially in, like in film, it's like, it's so integral because you're like, not only are you like literally capturing movement in the sense that like, you're like getting more than one picture and it's not a still, but you, you also need to like, actually, you need to have like, thoughtful movement in like what is happening with the characters what's happening with the camera what does that mean for the characters Mm. this is also i'm looping back around but um you're talking about like the conversation stuff like even in like dramas like a dutch tilt Mm. like that is like a like a small Mm -hmm. camera move that is impactful to a like like in a conversation like drama kind of thing yeah like that can be something that's like that lets the audience know it's like oh stuff's getting real like this is like new angles, new different things, mm-hmm. edgy, crunchy, earthy. Like it's like, yeah, it's stuff. I don't know. It's stuff like yeah. that. I think it's, it's just great. Movement's just great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we communicate mostly through body language. Yeah. 
I don't know. There's so much subtextual things like than just words on a page, you know. In, yeah. Whether it's you know a musical or a play or, or films, yeah, or anything like that that has to be communicated by movement by you know actors doing the thing in you know in a way that feels like real, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That reminds me of like, like even like in like even in music, there's like. When you're like not even like seeing anything, like there is the feeling of movement. There's like, there's a rhythm, which is like, yeah, it's like part of it's p- integral to that. Mm-hmm. Dang, isn't cool. it great? Cool. All right, your topic. All right, moving on to mine. So my next topic is talking about, um, in essence, just capitalism and how, um, <laughs> and how the money we have. <laughs> or the lack thereof uh, can sometimes be tied to our self-worth. Oh, God. And so I think this is something that is not ne- not necessarily that we're, like, directly taught at all. But through our society, we are trained into thinking Apple, like this. Yeah. That, that if money is, you know, the exchange of value, quote-unquote, that... Big air quotes on that. That, you know, money is just... We're adding value to lives by the exchange of money or whatever. And if you have more or something like that, that you somehow are more valuable than someone who has less. Ah. And and yes, that sounds awful to say, but yeah, I think that's sometimes it can be really, you know, a reality for like people then putting pressure on them. Um that they are somehow not a valuable member of society in yeah. that. And that's something I've been kind of feeling through lately. This That's why it's it's been on my mind. Yeah. Because I feel like when I am in a state of like, okay, you know, I've been trying to see how my financial situation is, man, I really need to make some extra money right now. And it's that at that, when I start thinking like that, I start getting so confused and I'm like, okay, I got to make this huge business idea or something like that, or I have to, you know, sell all my stuff on eBay and Facebook Marketplace, or I have to Not make Facebook a table in a day so I can sell it or something like that. And it's just leads down a path of like, you know, scatterbrained and being unfocused. And it's, it can be really hard. I think that, I think capitalism's dumb. Yeah. I think, I think the, like, to quote, I quote this all the time. We could have just been vibing and eating grapes. Instead, we made taxes and money. Like what? Like we? Like we really didn't need to. But also, like human greed exists. People are people. Always want more than someone else, and that's that's so stupid. It's so stupid. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but I think. I also think that there is an aspect of there that we since we live in a like a capitalist society there is this like training of like money means value and i think that because i like like you said because of that we like we think that people that have more money are inherently more valuable which is not true like just because someone has more money than you does not make their life any more valuable than yours Mm -hmm. like that's that's a wild concept to be like to think about um, I, and I think the, I think the issue there is that we like, of, of how we like, 
handle that like human greed thing is really is really wild like we really are like i want stuff but how do i get stuff mm-hmm. but we don't ne- always need stuff yeah we just want like i think it's i think it's also a little bit of like the the, the i think the the thing there is that like money can't buy happiness um money can buy comfortability yeah. um and i think some like comfortability probably might not make you happy it might make you feel safe and mm. be able to be happier easier but it is not what will make you happy right and i guess what i was almost thinking that it, sometimes it's hard as as creatives and in more of an artistic field to feel like you have to make money and focus solely on that and that's oftentimes when you're in that thinking can take away from the actual work you want to be doing, like the things that are actually important to you. So something I had been thinking about this week is, you know, what would I be doing if I had all the money in the world? And if I was dirt poor and like both of those things. And for me, I think it's pretty much the same thing, regardless of if I had nothing or if I had everything, I would be wanting to tell stories. I'd be wanting to, you know, make films. I'd be wanting to take pictures that inspire. All all of that is still the same thing. And I think that's the type of thinking that you have to do to bring yourself back on track. Yeah. Our dog is going crazy. I love this. I think it's also, like, a big part of, like, being an artist is, like, just remembering that, like, you that we live in a society we live in a society um we live in a like we live in a capitalist society and like it doesn't always like love like the way artists live yeah like and i think that's yeah i think that's hard sometimes yeah all right so yeah why don't we go on to your topic then cool all right um my topic for my second topic for today final topic the final countdown. Do-do-do. Oh, we probably should, that's probably covered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was short enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're probably fine. fine. <laughs> okay. Um, my final topic is about uh the profiting, like the the trend, not trend, but the concept, and also like film thing and in general thing about profiting off of marginalized people's pain and trauma. How is it bad? Why is it bad? Yeah. And yep. I, I think the the first part of this that I, I wanted to bring up that I thought about, um, well, A, I was thinking about, like, like queer people in general just being, like, like their trauma being used as, like, media consumption and also in general of, and that kind of thing of people being, like, used, like, their real stories and their real trauma that, like, happens to people and is, like, it continues to happen to people as just, like, content. Um, and I think the same thing goes for like, like almost any marginalized group of like, uh, disabled folks, like, uh, people of color. Um, and I think a big part of that, another, another thought I had on that is that like things like that there, there is a different version of that, that is talking about the trauma of a marginalized group from the perspective of a marginalized person is, which is the good version of that. Right. Okay. Um, Okay. So, and written by a marginalized person, portrayed by a marginalized person, um, Example like uh, reservation dogs. Yes. Yeah. 
does talk about the generational trauma and like the pain that like a lot of like native folks have gone through. Yeah. And love that show. Very love that show. Poignant, beautiful, funny, really pretty too. Everyone's hair in that show is gorgeous. Unrelated. Every episode, I'm like the hairstylist on this show, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoever is doing everyone's hair is doing great. You're doing a great job. Love you. Anyway, it's it's like that use. Like, it. it's also like those are marginalized voices talking about that. Uh, but they're also not talking about it in a super depressing way. Like, they, they are talking about it. They're accepting it. Um, but they're also, they're being conscious of it and making it a very nuanced story. Because mm-hmm. it's it's not, it's not just about the negative aspect of it. Yeah. It's it's about, like, that, that overcoming kind of thing. Right. Which I think is important for a lot of people that are marginalized because they, they, they need to see that they can do it. Yeah, and overcome the, the struggles and have it be from, you know, their perspective, like you were saying. I think a bad example of it or the the one that I could come up with off the top of my head was not necessarily about a group of marginalized people. So in a class I had probably about a year ago now, I remember we watched this movie called Bowling for Columbine, and it's by um, Michael Moore, who who makes these documentaries that are very like poignant, and he really wants to hammer home a point across, and. In essence, in that film, it was about, you know, American gun violence and yeah. ownership and gun rights and all of that and how screwed up with it is, in essence. I mean, I agreed with all the things he was, was saying in the film, but one thing this kid said in my class was that we have to remember that this guy made money off this film talking and, you know, interviewing people who have had this huge trauma of like a school shooting and like Columbine and yeah and all of this and that he profited all off of that yeah which is an awful thought and you can think about it in the same way because it is the same thing talking about a group of marginalized people especially if it's a film done by a white cis you know man yeah what yeah and like if it's that and then profiting off of the suffering of you know a marginalized group you know yeah i think it was a really good example it's not talking about like yeah it's not specifically marginalized people but it is talking about like the like the use of a collective trauma and like using that for money um this isn't necessarily trauma but this is also like someone using someone else's story yeah. so the movie coco oh. um uh like they they met like a real they like went to like a real town and like like talked to some people that like were I think was, I forget where it is in Mexico, um but they like talked to real people about it they like interviewed real people uh like Abuela Coco is like based off a real human being and they like interviewed her and like got a lot of her story and like a lot of the story is actually based off her life yeah uh, they basically said that like we will give you money for the story that you've told us and like the content that you've given us and then they didn't give her money yeah they just they did not they were like we will help you we will like give you like give you money um and they were like nope that didn't happen i don't know what you're talking about and i think it's i think it's stuff like that that is very like it's just like you took someone's real life their real story and profit off of it say like oh it's it's original it's new it's fresh and this kind of loops back to 
something we talked about in the first episode about like giving back to the community that you are talking about giving like if you're telling a story about queer people there better be some money going to some queer people whether mm-hmm. it is like you're like actually donating to like a uh, like an organization that helps people or you're giving like work to queer actors or you're giving work to queer writers or whatever it's and the same thing goes for like people of color too like you need to like those people need to be like if you're telling their story at least pay them at least yeah. like give them money for you're profiting off of a story that is that is about them mm-hmm. give them money for what happening yeah at the minimum at the very minimum yeah I, f- I feel like it's a very stereotypical thing to think that you know hollywood is so hungry for any story that you know will make a great movie or will top you know the box offices or anything like that that they would ignore where that story is actually coming from and they just you know want to take that and that's how it often feels with it and i don't know i mean i'm of the opinion that i'd love to see a new movement of filmmaking that's all less about the um, studio systems and huge like box office hits and more about you know those stories from less heard voices you know people that are from marginalized groups and seeing them you know being able to tell their stories in their way and see the you know the rewards from it as well and not have it be that you have to go through multi-million dollar billion dollar conglomerates you know yeah and i think i think part of being a storyteller and any kind of artist is that like you're, you're telling a story, and if it's not your own, you need to be uplifting that person. Because you, you yeah. if you're if you're a part of telling a story that isn't your own, you that is a gift. Someone is gifting yeah. their life, their story, something that they have put their energy into, even if it's not like directly about marginal, like being a marginalized person. That's something that someone else has worked on, and you need to you need to respect that. Yeah, like that is a like and you need to be like and uplift that you need to that is that is part of your job as a storyteller is to uplift the story that you are either given or you have created and i think it's also important i think it's important separately and also at the same time that you uplift marginalized people's voices because that's how you get like like not necessarily just new stories air quotes but that's also how you get more authentic stories and more stories that like feel that like hit more than one kind of audience and hit hit people and show people things that they show a different thing that they haven't seen before and teach them something even if it's it doesn't need to be big but like a great example of this of doing something small that like is really big is like Shit's Creek mm-hmm. like that like the the way it is written is very much that there is a, like in a world where there is not a lot of homophobia there's not racism like it, that little like in that little pocket like the way like they write without it and i think that's that's something that people need to see and i yeah. think it's 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 uplifting even though that show doesn't like have a whole lot of like people of color on it besides a couple um but like it could do better. Everything can be better. But it's opening up. But it's oh, you know, it opens audience, up that door so. because it's very much like we don't deal with that shit here. Like that's 
Yeah, it's opening up the view for the audience to see this, you know, completely separate world that is through the other other person's eyes and seeing the how something could be, you know, potentially yeah. and in I think, that show specifically. Yeah, and I think especially there, it's it's very much like this is an example of what the world could be. Like yeah. it's very it's poignant in that way that it's it's very much like this is this could happen like this like living in a world where like we don't like we don't question that we don't question right and i I think that's just the power you know of filmmaking that we need to do more of you know is is opening up perspectives and seeing things through other people's eyes and i mean that's where i think really that where like really good storytelling comes from and you know the things that gives you goosebumps and when you're yeah watching it for the first time and all of that that that's what's you know needs we need to see more of and we need to do more of yeah and i think i think we 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 said this already on the first episode that like art is such a personal thing and i think i think the ability to see more see into more different people and to not only see yourself but to see others so that you can fully see let's that concept of seeing like I see someone, even though they're not the same as me, I, I understand who they are, so I have a better understanding of myself. Mm. I think that's a lot of what storytelling is. It's that the sharing of self. Yeah. I think that's really important to make sure that we're more we're we're sharing more than one version of a of a human being. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. <laughs> sharing is caring. Yeah. <laughs> I finally understand it. Just now. (laughs) Just now. I get it now. I get it now. Wow. Sharing is caring. Well, I think that's a great place to end on. I think that is a great place to end on. All right. Well, this has been the second episode of Burn Everything. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Do we want to plug anything? Yeah. You can find us at our normal handles. I am Matt underscore Nicholas on Instagram. And you can also keep updated on my own stuff at mattnicholas.com um i am uh john underscore nicholas at on instagram i have a facebook i don't use it you won't find me um that's pretty much it cool yeah definitely go and check out the bechtel test uh dot com oh for sure and i don't know do you have anything that you want to um check out check out the book untamed um random random plug i love the book untamed i'm reading it it's a memoir um it's good read it yeah um yeah cool this has been burn everything bye-bye see you caring. caring